But Formula One does need to hold on to some of its heritage, mm. you know, you know, particularly with some of the old circuits and stuff like that. You know, it would be shame as much as everyone, every modern fan hates Monaco. Yep. For me, as a historic fan, yeah. you know, it's got to be there. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Track Limits Podcast presented by Formula Addict. I'm your host, Swish. I'm with my co-host, Henny. Today we have a very, very special guest, probably one of the most recognizable journalists in the motorsport world, Craig Scarborough. Welcome Ooh. to the show. Welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you for inviting me. And for that build-up. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, who, who is that? Yeah, they were like, <laughs> Amazing. Well, Craig, how are you doing? How's the off-season been so far? Yeah. Is it being a kind of a time for you to chill a little bit or are you or do still you even have an off Yeah, do you even have an off season? Yeah. There, there is a bit of an off season. Actually, yeah, the yeah. season ended a little bit early last year, didn't it? Last it did. year, the year before it went into December and suddenly, yep. you know, you were through Christmas and we were getting we're ready for New it. Year. So yep. I've had a bit of downtime. Nice. But, you know, this year so far, I was building up talking about the new regulations, yep. about the problems people were having last year mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just kind of getting myself up to speed. But I'm, I always keep myself busy. So uh, uh, we love, love it. it. All right. Well, over the next hour, I, you know, I'm very excited about this episode because you know, obviously, so much about not just the sport, but I think, like you mentioned, some of the new technical directives and how that's going to have an impact on the sport. And we have a lot of people, even some newer fans of the sport, yeah. that might be really curious to dive a little bit deeper there. So we break our podcast up into three sections. Yeah. Q1, all about racing related. Q2, more kind of around you as a professional, how you got to where you are. And then Q3, the rapid fire right. round. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> the first two, yes. Perfect. All right, well, let's get into Q1. Tell us a little bit, kind of around 30 seconds, 45 seconds. This might be tough for you, but tell us a bit about your career and some of the kind of core accomplishments you're proud about. So I mean, my career in terms of um, journalism in motorsport is mm -hmm. that I just cover the technical side of the sport. I don't really care about the drivers and the politics and the sponsors and all of that. You know, that's always a part of it. Mm -hmm. So my niche has always been to talk and draw and write about the technical side of the sport. I've done that now for oh, 23 years, really, as a, as a journalist. And every year, you know, something changes. I get a little bit more in, deeper involved in yeah. my understanding or the way that I can communicate things. Yep. Yep. And today I'm doing work with Formula One itself with their uh, uh, tech show, uh, Tech Talk, yep. uh, as long with uh, a number of other magazines, YouTube channels. And, you know, I'm very busy on social media because I just yep. love <laughs> <Yeah>. going on <laughs> and on. I love your Twitter feed. It is a joy. And then what does the day-to-day -day life for Craig then look like? Like, tell us a bit about being a tech journalist. Like, what does that actually look like in Formula One? Well, it's the, I mean, it's, it's not a job for me. Yeah. You know, this is, this is what I would do if I didn't have a job. Right. You know, if I was unemployed, I would right. be doing exactly what I do now. Yeah. Uh, because I, the base of it, I'm an F1 fan. Yeah. But I'm a family man. So I have a, a school run still just about finishing doing that now, luckily, when you're yep. all grown up. Yeah. Yep. Um, day starts with coffee. Um, <laughs> throughout the day, uh, coffee yeah, yeah. <laughs> is my, about my only vice that I have really. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's a mix, you know, I've got, you know, family life and, and, and normal life. Yeah. I've got other interests, which tends to be cars and motorbikes and restoration and things like that. Right. But a lot of the day is spent, you know, on social media, researching, mm -hmm. doodling and drawing, yeah. you know, um, I've got a real, um, 
passion and interest for collecting parts of F1 cars. Have you ever seen yeah. my Twitter feed? You <laughs> yeah. see, I've always got something on my workbench. And, yeah. you know, I bought some bits and pieces last week. So I'm always yeah. sort of scanning around trying to uh, find stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, particularly pedals. I've got a strange collection of Interesting, F1 really. Yeah, yeah. Like throughout the years, yeah. during the eras? Or? Yeah, I mean, I've got pedals going back to the late 80s. Wow. Uh, How do you even collect that? Yeah, where do you get them from? <laughs> it's hard to find them. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've probably got about 30 or 40 at the moment. Wow. So, yeah, so my time really is spent, you know, either on the computer, on my phone, um, and just, just keeping my eye out for things. Nice. And then broadcast, I think web as well, print as well. I mean, mm -hmm. you've been involved as a journalist across so many different mediums. Which area is the most exciting for you, in your opinion? Well, I think, you know, through my career, every I started out um, with uh, someone's website, which was, you know, kind of the old HTML yeah, coded, yeah. very simple, yeah. um, uh, techf1.com. Nice. A guy in Australia set cool. that up, and I sent him some drawings, some writing, and that was great fun. And then it got into, uh, you know, paid websites, magazines. Um, social media is probably the one thing that's really kind of grown my interest, although it's, you know, kind of like the, the, the giveaway in terms of you know, my career, but I really enjoy that. But to be honest, doing live TV is probably the, the greatest fun, actually being at a circuit, being in the pit lane or being in front of people yeah. and doing that because... Um, well, first of all, it's a lot easier than sitting down writing a story. <laughs> <laughs> it's much, much quicker, yeah. uh, although you do need to do your prep for it. But it, you know, when you're chatting to people, I think that's when, you know, particularly with the engineers, you don't see you know, spoken to quite so often. I think they actually yeah. like being spoken to. Yeah. Uh, and just seeing them coming out with stuff. And, you know, I'm learning, you know, the audience are learning. And, you know, that's probably the one thing. I, if I could do only one thing, it would just be, you know, Live TV stuff. Talk to oh, people. man, that's fantastic! And let's talk about this this upcoming season. What what is your outlook on it? Who who surprises? Who's going to surprise you the most? What do you look into the cars and the regulations? Well, I think last year there was a lot of expectation on the season because of the big rule changes, yeah. and everyone was saying that the cars are going to be able to overtake easier. And I think it achieved that. But of course, what you get is what they call field spread is where that some teams did much better than others. And yep. some teams that maybe weren't doing so well jumped up, like Haas, for example, and yep. teams that were doing very well suddenly weren't doing quite so well, which exactly. you could probably say. The same. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, at least for the mo most part of the yeah. season. I think this year you'll see something slightly different. Everyone's going to squeeze up a lot more closely. Oh. And um, because they've had a year to understand the regulations, the regulations have changed ever so slightly over the winter just to kind of equalize things a little bit more and you know the cost cap the aero testing cap that's all going to squeeze the top teams and uh, help the lower teams and i think we're just going to end up with a season that's going to be super competitive but now with cars that are easier to overtake yeah. hmm. so it's kind of like we come into that perfect storm where you know the regulations are finally starting to deliver what we've been looking for for well for decades exactly really. and uh, you know in regards to red bull and their losing their time on testing. Do you really think that's going to affect them? I know Red Bull says it and the other teams are like, ah, it's, it's insignificant. It's going to have a big impact. Yeah. Um, but I think it's not going to happen at first race. Yeah. So you know, Red Bull have had slightly restricted aero testing mm. um, because they won the championships, but also, as you say, because of their penalty, yeah. they're down to, I think, about 65% of the, the maximum Mount. available aero testing. So they'll probably turn up with a car with given the momentum they had last year, yeah. that's already fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, whereas what you'll find is that Ferrari and Mercedes may make a sudden jump over the winter because they've got the problem solved in last season's mm -hmm. car. And we'll start out with probably three teams very close. Yeah. 
But Red Bull will struggle as the season goes on because they're more restricted in their aero testing, yeah. whereas Ferrari and Mercedes get that little bit extra time in the wind tunnel. Alpine and McLaren equally chasing up behind them. Yeah. So I think the performance that you see in maybe the first third of this year yeah. will be very different to what you see in the last third of this mm. year. And the bit in the middle could be could be anything. The make or break. So yeah. I don't think someone winning the first five races on the bounce is necessarily a sign that they're going to dominate the season because yep. things will change yep. as the year progresses. And equally, as we go into 2024, which seems very early to be talking yeah. about, <laughs> but you know, this will have an impact going on over the next couple of years. Right. And I mean, like it's not even like last year, right, where Ferrari had such a hot start. And I think reliability was such a big issue for Red Bull. But then, you know, the season kind of went for like this for Ferrari yeah. and then just, oh, my God, like the second half. I mean, how do you judge a team's like performance and upgrades throughout a season? Like, can you detect whether or not a team is not on the ball when it comes to the upgrades they're bringing out for a weekend, for example? Yeah, I mean, there's various ways that you can have a look at that. First yeah. of all is how many little bits and pieces or how often they actually bring a big update to the car. Mm. Yeah. And as we saw last year, I mean, Ferrari in particular cut out their development very early. So we weren't seeing Ferrari updates. Yep. Um, equally, Red Bull brought lots of big changes quite early in the season mm -hmm. uh, and then equally ran out of momentum. So you kind of keep your eye. The other thing is that when they bring something new and it disappears after, you know, just one run or one race weekend, yeah. you know, that shows that they haven't got what we call a correlation, which is, mm. you know, their design and simulation predicts the car will do this, but when yeah. you physically put it on the track, it doesn't do what they expect it. So you lack correlation. Mm. And so often teams will have that and, mm. you know, you'll find developments that just come and go and it's like yep. they're having problems and then that will then pan out through the year. Right. But equally, now that we're into this budget cap and the aero uh, testing restriction, you know that you can't have a team bring big updates for the first half of the year yep. and then keep that up through the second half of the year. Now, this is something we've never seen before. Previously, right. if Ferrari, Red Bull or Mercedes, who've got, you know, kind of not infinite budgets, but if they need to spend it, mm. they'll spend it to win a championship. Yeah. They couldn't, they can't do this now and they couldn't do it last year. We're starting to learn, you know, the signals about what were going on. And I imagine as we get into the middle of the year, mm. there'll be lots of talk about people being over budget oh, and, you know, the, 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 the aero <laughs> testing restrictions really starting to bite for the teams at the front whereas right. the teams at the bottom of the grid get so much more wind tunnel testing yeah. right. but equally now the teams at the bottom of the grid have the money yep. to do that aero testing mm -hmm. previously you know Haas and Williams were never actually able to use all their allocation of testing mm. in the wind tunnel because they didn't have the money to fund it now they do. So you can suddenly see that, you know, this field is going to mix up yeah. and we've got to keep our eye on how these developments are coming out through yeah. the year. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, it's but careful this year you don't jump on a hype train too early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that train can stop at the station and not carry on carry to the on. end of the line. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting season to follow. And I think we will make some mistakes in yeah. trying to predict and, these things. And how do you analyze uh, driver performance, whether like what are the things you consider when you are reporting and where you are writing or even on TV? What do you look for in well, these performances? The interesting thing is that, um, you know, I don't really report on the drivers. Yeah. Hmm. So my interest in the drivers is kind of purely academic for my own purposes. Yeah. I don't tend to kind of talk about it too yeah. much. There's people that really specialize in that. Yeah. But still, you know, I'm a fan. I'm watching the sport. You know, I you know, I, I, I don't have favourites. So yeah. you watch a driver, and particularly not so much when the drivers are at the front, because, you know, when you're in a big team and you've got a car that can get pole uh, or the car that can win, you know, your performance really becomes hyped by people because 
you know, everything's there for you. Yep. So I tend to look at the drivers in the midfield at the bottom of the grid and looking out for the ones that are consistent, yeah. yep. you know, will suddenly come up during a qualifying session and put that lap in or in tricky conditions, which tends to be something that really separates the drivers as well. Yep. Um, someone that can actually put in a performance that steps above where their car should be. Yep. That's what catches my eye. Then equally, you, know, you have drivers that are very, very consistent. Yep. But um, I think it depends what you're looking for in a driver. I think sometimes we are looking for someone exciting yep and you know maybe if i was a team manager i'd be looking for someone a bit more consistent but mm -hmm. yep. you know, it doesn't excite us as fans <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um and then you know equally you know i suppose you've got to look at the negative side of the drivers the drivers that don't seem to perform that don't jump out you know in those situations that we spoke about for some drivers and you think you know they're kind of here mm -hmm. they're, clearly they're a good driver yeah. but when you're comparing just 20 people <clears throat> Um, you know, there's always got to be someone that you think is, you know, is below. So I just tend to look for flash performances or lack of flash performances and, and judge them from there. Yeah. Is there, do, do you think there's a driver right now on the grid that can, you know, go from one car to another car and adapt like that instantly? I think that's quite interesting because I think a lot of people would think that, you know, there's some great drivers on the grid at the moment. Yeah. You know, I think we're really hit. We've got some great young up and coming drivers. Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, um, a trio perhaps of absolutely world class drivers at the front of the grid as well. But equally, when you look, you know, when I analyze them, I see that they do struggle when they go from car to car or when the tires aren't working in the way they want. The car's handling doesn't work. And there's not a driver at the moment that I feel can kind of outdrive their car in all conditions. Yeah. And, you know, you tend to get a little bit of inconsistency in their performances because of that. Yeah. So no one at the moment is jumping out for me. I think there are drivers in the past that are able to do that. And I think, you know, maybe one of the best ones was kind of Schumacher that could, you know, engineer the car and his way of driving. I think a lot of the current drivers are have a way of driving, have a way of getting the car set up. And obviously the car, you know, the car is so much of their performance as well. When the car isn't doing what they want, suddenly they're not looking quite so great. And I don't think we so often see drivers, you know, overcome that somehow. And we saw that mm -hmm. certainly last year with some quite difficult cars that were, you know, uh, tricky to drive in lots of different circumstances. Yeah. And some drivers, you know, you can yep. take someone like Daniel Ricciardo, we would all regard as potential world champion, yeah, fantastic driver. Yeah can't cope with something in these current cars, which yeah. is, you know, the way the McLaren works and the way that these new Pirelli tyres are working. Mm -hmm. So suddenly they're made to look, you know, not like a fool, but, you know, they're not able to express themselves. But I don't think there is anyone at the moment that really steps out to me as I can maximise that car in all conditions. Yeah, hmm. that's amazing. And then for like some of the newer fans to the sport, I mean, I'd love for you even just to break down for us some of these terms that you hear, <laughs> right? So even just breaking down something like, let's talk about like, power unit optimization, right? Or if we have like energy management, what does that mean? And then how do you analyze that in a Formula One race? Right, so, I mean, if we use the term power unit optimization, yeah. which mm -hmm. sounds incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's no more different than you managing your telephone, mm -hmm. your mobile phone, your cell phone. So with the Formula One power unit, you have the combustion engine, the V6 engine that burns the petrol. And that has, you've only got three of them for the season, so you've got to make sure you don't wear them out. Mm -hmm. And you will wear that out either by doing lots of miles or you'll wear it out quicker by putting, using more power from it. Yeah. Just like you do if you suddenly got some app on your phone or start to burn your battery down really quickly or slow down your other apps. Then you've got the electrical side of the power unit, this double hybrid setup. And equally, you're restricted in how many components that you use, so you can't use them too much. 
Um, in the race, you can't use your hybrid to build your battery level up too much because it makes everything really hot. Mm. When you get these things really hot, it decays their life. So again, you know, you can run your battery on full screen, you know, bright as you like, but you know at some point that screen's going to burn out. Just the same with these power units. So the driver, and I say it's the driver because they're the only ones that can really play with the switches on the steering wheel. The team can't do that from the pits. With... You know, the people on the pit wall in the garage, all the people back at their HQ at base, and we're talking at that level, hundreds of people right. saying, right, at this point in the race, you know, you've got the potential to grab third position. So let's dial everything up, and we'll tell you the best way of dialing that up, depending on the circuit and the circumstances of the electrical side and the combustion side of your power needs. You're kind of balancing all of that, but knowing that you can't just turn everything up to 10 for the rest of the race. Equally, if someone is you know, already in that third position, the person behind them is struggling and they're 10 seconds behind. It's like, right, let's start, start to dial everything mm. back. Let's save some of that battery life. Let's save some of that combustion engine. And you just turn things down and the drivers are constantly doing this. Mm. And even as you saw, I think it was um, Austria a couple of years ago when Norris was chasing um, a podium mm. and the engineer was telling him, Corner by corner, what is the best setting for that power unit? The drivers don't normally do that. Yeah. Mm. But to get the maximum performance out of everything that he had available, he had to change all that, of these modes every corner, <laughs> which was fantastic to yeah. listen to. It's one of, the, yeah, one of the things that really tells you what modern Formula One from a driver's point of view, from a technology point of view, is all about. So really, it's all about just managing those, you know, these different lives yep. for the situation that you're in. Because, you know, as we know, and you see towards you get towards the end of the season, if you've mm. burnt out all your power unit components, mm. then you're going to get penalties. Yep. And you've got to pick and choose when that comes up. Mm. So power unit optimization, big term, basically, is just looking after your mobile phone. Yeah. And do you feel like we need to have maybe more you know, supply of engine, like in terms of the regulation for each team, because it seems like every team has to take a penalty. Yeah. So isn't it just better to just maybe bump that number up from three to four? And yeah, you know, then that make maybe more severe penalties for like five and six. But it just seemed like there wasn't a team that went through last year that was fully able to get through the year with just three. Oh, I mean, there were people that were able to do that through yeah. the year. And obviously some of the loss of them units is down to accidents, which yeah. is yeah. kind of outside of the driver's control. And yeah. I think there is maybe a, a regulation there. Yeah. My personal opinion yeah. is, yeah, let's stick to just three power unit components per driver per year mm. and give them more draconian penalties if they start to do this kind of strategic swap out, which we mm. saw a lot last year, even more so, uh, particularly with Mercedes, yeah. in the back end of, um, what was that now? I'm losing track of the year, 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you've got the other th point of view. It's like, let's just decide, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to cut costs. Mm -hmm. So one of these power units is a, is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's going to be some very different regulations coming up in the future. I think it's right that we restrict these power units, try and keep the costs down, trying to stop people just swapping them out. Because otherwise it undermines the whole aim yep. of what we're trying to do with, you know, reducing costs and, you know, the amount of material usage that Formula One goes through. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, from my point of view, three, three, three should last. Mm -hmm. You know, even mm -hmm. with 25 races, it should last. Right. Uh, which is incredible yep. that they can do that where, you know, Mid-2000s, they would fit an engine just for qualifying and then yeah. take it out and put another engine in, a brand new engine in for the race. Mm. You know, it was madness. Mm -hmm. 
So I think we've got to a good situation and the, the teams have learned massive amounts in the process. And then what about aero and tire management? Can you like define those for us as well? And then how do you analyze that during a race as well? Because I know on Twitter, it seems like every <laughs> single person becomes a tire management pundit yeah. during a race. They shadow went with the media. <laughs> yeah, I mean, tire management is, you know, that's a, a five-hour podcast on mm -hmm. its own. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a massive thing. Um, aero management tends to be a little bit more straightforward, and that tends to come with the bit that I like of the weekend. It's like the first few days of testing, mm -hmm. sort of practice. Yep. And you've got to decide how much downforce do you want to run. Um, now, obviously, you want downforce to go around the corners quickly, but the downside is the more downforce that you run, particularly with the wings, then the more drag you have, the slower you are on the straight. Now, some circuits, which we call um, peaky circuits, will only really want you to have big wings. So like Monaco, you couldn't run low downforce because yeah. there's no straights to make up <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight yeah. line speed advantage. Equally, Monza mm -hmm. is the other extreme, you know, where you don't want to run lots of downforce, you want high. And then there's lots of tracks in the middle um, which you could get yep. away with lots of downforce, a, lot, a little amount of downforce. Canada. And you decide, yeah. yeah. And you decide then, you know, what, what balance do we have? Um, now, typically, you would want a little bit more straight line speed for the race, mm -hmm. but that will degrade your tyres quicker. Yeah. So you've got all of this practice on Friday and Saturday, understanding that wing level that you want to get to. Once qualifying starts, it's locked in. That's you know, what you call park firma. You can't yep. make changes without starting from the pit lane. So that's all over by then. Mm. Um, but then, you know, if the weather changes and tyres start to react differently, you could end up, you know, either having tyres that don't get warm enough or get too hot because you're sliding. Mm. Tyre management in the race, uh, even through qualifying, is, is a science all of its own. We had new tyres last year. Mm -hmm. um, so not only did we go to the big 18-inch wheels, but they were quite different tyres. We had much cooler temperatures coming out of the tyre blankets as well, whereas previously they could get almost ready to go straight out and run. Uh, last year, the temperatures were reduced. We think they're going to reduce again this year, but probably haven't confirmed that exactly how they'll do it this year. It may be not as draconian as we were expecting. Mm. So you've got to work out how does the driver make the most of that tyre for the life they're expecting. So let's you know, kind of jump into the race rather than qualifying. So how far do you want to stretch your stint? Do you want to be aggressive and use that tyre up? Yeah. But then obviously you maybe need to make more pit stops, um, but maybe that will get you track position. So the whole balance is how hard you push the tyre. And I think a lot of people think that it's just about how fast the driver's going. Um, but it's, it's quite tricky because the way the tyres wear and the way the tyres get hot um, is quite different. So you would expect, you know, out of a corner, everyone can make the rear tyres get really hot. Yeah. But equally, the tyres can get really hot going into a corner. So if you imagine turning in really fast, you know, you're kind of full, full Alonso. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not only the front tyres moving really hard, but suddenly the rear tyres are trying to resist the car just spinning. Uh, mm. And that puts a lot of energy into the rear tyres and can really degrade them very quickly. So often it's the driver turning in more gently rather than being gentle on the throttle out of the corner that can affect the tyres. Equally, the front tyres, mm. very hard to get hot. And it's very hard for the team to actually tune that now with the new regulations. So the driver's got to find ways of doing that. And then particularly coming out of pit stops, if you're coming onto a hard tyre, it's very hard to get much temperature. So there's you know, a whole host of things that have to go. Lots of people will say, well, he should have just, you know, made that stint longer. Yeah. If those tyres have given up, those tyres have given up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but equally, 
what we don't see is that, you know, the precise gaps all the way back behind the, the, the car. We see some of it on the timing screens, but the team have got a much more complex view of this. Mm. And sometimes being out on a set of worn tyres just for a few more laps may actually be strategically better, even though it looks really bad from us fans is kind of pulling our hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put some sticky tyres yeah. on. Yeah. But maybe that brings them out into a different spot in the traffic. Maybe that then works into their next stint that works better for them. Hmm. So, you know, it, none of us can predict it. The teams can't predict it. So us fans certainly can't. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those things that, you know, we, we, we all learn, particularly last year, is we learn all the time about how teams are managing these two tyres. And to give you an example of that, you know, is Mercedes. Mm. Now, we know they had lots of problems with their car last year. Mm. And, you know, they never really got qualifying sussed out. However, in the race, you know, regardless of where they were, you saw them catching everyone up because their tyre management, yeah. their understanding was so much better. And Lewis Hamilton was you know, particularly fantastic at tyre management. Yeah. And you could see George Russell was equally learning this from the coaching, from the team, and how to get these tyres to work through a race. By the end of the race, you know, particularly towards the end of the year, I mean, it got them the win. It meant that they tended to finish in front of Ferrari, who mm -hmm. didn't have a handle on tyre management. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can see the importance of this. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's a bit like aero correlation. You've either got it or you haven't. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll just forever be um, puzzling over how it all works. Yeah. And let's talk about the 2026 regulations. I know it's a big <laughs> yeah. buzz, but like explain what that change is for, you know, newer fans to uh, F1 and then what your opinion is on it. Okay. So we haven't seen all the 2026 regulations, yeah. but a kind of a little kind of potted history. Historically, regulations were made up by people at the FIA in Paris would kind of just make a knee-jerk reaction. I've got an idea. We're going to change this regulation uh, normally as a result of something that's happened. Yeah. And they weren't, you know, these were just people making empirical you know, ideas about what the rule should be. 2022 was the first time properly that Formula One actually equated a set of regulations with a set of aims, which was to help improve overtaking, to uh, reduce costs, to make the grid more balanced. Yeah. And they actually did a full set of tests. They were doing you know, CFD and wind tunnel tests. They were doing all the simulations to make sure that these regulations did what the aims were, were yeah. aimed at. And I think that that's worked. So there's a whole, almost like a mini Formula One team at the FIA now looking at the regulations, which has never happened before. Well, apart from a, a brief interlude in 2008, 2009, but I won't go into that now. Mm -hmm. 2026 is the second big update on that concept of regulation changes. So this is going to change lots of things. So it's going to change the chassis and it's going to change the power unit. Now, the chassis regulations haven't been announced yet, but the aims that we already know about, obviously, is to continue this lower cost, uh, more equal, easy to overtake set of cars. Mm. But equally, they're going to be a little bit lighter. They'll be a little bit smaller, which again, everyone wants, yeah. mm. um, if only from a visual perspective. Um, so that's all going to come along in 2026, which is all fantastic. And you know, I'm totally behind it. I don't think there's any negative sides to that at all. Then there's the new power unit regulations. So the power units have changed. The ones that we've got now go all the way back to 2014 and really haven't changed much during that period. 2026, we're going to get a new power unit, a new engine, a new hybrid system. Hmm. So it's going to be a little bit more simplified. So the current engine's got 1,000 horsepower. The new engine is still going to have 1,000 horsepower, but half of it will come from the hybrid system, the electrical system. Half of it will come from the combustion system. The combustion system will run on fully sustainable fuel. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, carbon neutral fuel. Yeah. And it's something I 
frankly don't understand, but that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm told. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that that's how I understand it. Uh, so we're going to suddenly get these engines, which will probably be a little bit more difficult to drive, which must be a good thing. Surely, mm. maybe not from a driver's yeah. point of view, but from us fans, you want to see the driver Struggle struggling a bit. Yeah, because yeah. these cars just look so easy to drive. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. They certainly look it. Yeah. Um, you know, we're meeting this kind of sustainability thing. We're seeing yeah. new manufacturers coming in. So Audi are coming in. Mm -hmm. um, we've got Red Bull. Uh, powertrains coming, uh, yeah. you know, making their first power unit. Honda will stay in, so yeah. we understand. <laughs> uh, and potentially some other people. So, you know, uh, GM with the Cadillac brand potentially could come in yeah. um, um, and Ford badging on the Red Bull powertrains as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, all of these rules are worked out to be technically correct, but also kind of meet the wider needs of the sport. So, well, a lot of fans still want noisy engines, but equally, you know, we can't carry on as a sport if we're not shown to have some kind of, you know, green credentials. Yeah. Yep. Um, big manufacturers won't come in if they think that they've got to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds to develop, you know, a completely pointless turbo layout. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's all kind of working together. And I think that will eventually then breed onto, you know, the next big set of regulations, which could mm -hmm. become really interesting because by then the budget cap, the aero testing cap, the power unit development cap yep. means that they can actually potentially free up some of the regulations yep. to allow people to be a bit more innovative, a bit more imaginative. You know, Audi could run a diesel, you know, for example. Um, Toyota could come in and have a, you know, electric Formula One car or something. Mm -hmm all within those caps rather than within very specific technical regulations. So you can see that this is all kind of building up really nicely. And Formula One has never had that before. Yeah. Mm. You know, not, not in my time, not in the years before I was in the sport. So it, it, we may have a few frustrations with some of these rule changes, but I think, you know, the big picture is that Formula One's going in a really good direction. And then, you know, you mentioned obviously this you know, idea of obviously needing to catch up to the times, especially when it comes to the big movement around EV. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like, do, I know Formula E exists, but like, is there a world where F1 becomes fully electric? Is that a world that you think is likely to happen or not really? I say yes, mm. but I qualify that with a couple of things first. For, first of all, I think people look at Formula E and yep. think, well, that is the electric Formula One. <laughs> right. It's the electric single-seater series. It is, kind of, but that's not... Formula E is a city centre mm -hmm. electric racing thing. That's you know, It's not going to come out to the big circuits. It's about bringing this technology to people that live in urban areas so that they don't have to take thousands of cars up the motorway, mm. you know, to a circuit in the middle of nowhere. Um, people can come out get their metro straight to the race circuit. That's what Formula E is about. And it can do that because it's electric. Hmm. Formula One is about being the pinnacle of technology and uh, of motorsport. And there's no reason it couldn't become electric. Now, obviously, there are technical barriers to that at the moment. You couldn't build a Formula One car that had a battery that would deliver a yeah. power <laughs> Yet. Uh, over, yeah, yeah, yeah. over you know, yeah. a 200 miles yeah, yeah. an hour race. Yeah. You know, that technology yeah. isn't there. Yeah. There are some counter technologies, you know, fast charging, mm -hmm. uh, induction charging off the circuit, swappable mm -hmm. batteries, all that sort of stuff could do. Right. I think the intermediate step that Formula One would make is to have what I describe as electric final drive, mm. which is kind of like some of your, your hybrid road cars have. Yeah. Most of the time, what's actually turning the wheels is the electric motor. Mm. But then you would have, you know, maybe a combustion engine like you have with the Audi Dakar car mm -hmm. um, that is delivering energy to the electric final drive. And that could be you know, mechanical engine because it's geared to it through a differential or what have you. Or it could be because it's generating from another, you know, electric through a generator like, you know, say the, the Audi Dakar car. <laughs> or you could have a, 
you know, a battery that you could swap or you could have hydrogen or you could have a diesel engine, a turbine engine. I think that's where Formula One needs to get to, this kind of semi-electric. The form of energy is is immaterial, really. And that should be down to the manufacturers to come in and do it. And there obviously needs to be ways that you manage that. But once you get into electrical um, powertrains, it becomes much easier to actually make sure that everyone's got a an equal amount of torque that's coming out the back of the, the power unit and an equal amount of energy that's going into it. Hmm. That's my vision of the future. Um, and yeah, maybe at the end of the day, the batteries went out. Maybe at the end of the day, hydrogen wins out. Maybe, yep. you know, it's a complete failure and you end up having to, you know, run combustion engines. But I think that's where F1 should be. And I think that's really where the world's going with, with um, you know, your, your road cars and every other form of um, transport as well. Right. And last few questions here in Q1. But I, I, one other thing I also see online a lot are a lot of people who watched F1 kind of from the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, this is probably people like you as well. I'm curious, you know, if you ever hear the criticism, well, bring back the V10 engine. They <laughs> sounded great. Or look at Lewis Hamilton do a 345 kilometer per hour lap in Suzuka, Japan. We'll never have that again because of just the weight of the cars, you know, the changes to the engine cooling uh, systems. You know, what do you say to those people? Like, what, you know, do you think F1 is going to be as exciting for them? Because they've seen, obviously, you know, 2015, 2010, 2005, where these regulations have allowed the cars to be quicker, generally? I think you've got to be careful that a lot of people equate some of these super fast lap times um, back in the day to the V10 engine. Right. Um, Because you had very different tyres, which frankly makes up most of the difference. The cars were lighter, um, but they had less power. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a lot less technology, aero, electronics, gearbox. There was lots of those cars that made them much slower than potentially would. If we could equalise these cars, you'd actually see that actually the current Formula 1 car is probably some of the best format. It's got a thousand horsepower through the race, mm. which really the V10s didn't. The, I mean, I, I go back back to the 70s, so I can remember that the turbo, the original turbo era, when everyone get, went on about how much BMW had 1500 horsepower in the qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> but that was for one qualifying lap and that engine was literally thrown in the bin. You know, through the rest of the race, if the engine could make it to the end of the race, um, they had less than a thousand. Right. So suddenly we've got these super powerful cars, not just a thousand peak horsepower, but huge amounts of torque, and you know it's great aero. If you equalise it, these you know the engineers would pick these power units. Um, but you know there's other factors. See, these cars are heavy because of safety, largely uh, because of the tyres, largely. And again, that's all because of regulations, hmm. not because you know uh, there's any you know aim to try and slow these cars down. We could make these cars faster you know, if we wanted to, and that's probably. Right part of where we need to get to but i think a lot of people look at formula one and they have this old-fashioned vision you know they need to be loud mm-hmm. and they need to be burning petrol <laughs> yeah. you know, it's almost like you need to put testosterone in the, in the fuel tank run. yeah i personally don't get that view right. you know uh, yeah i'm i'm not your average formula one fan i've got a particular niche that i'm interested in yeah. but people do like the noise yeah and, you know, I can kind of understand it. But, you know, for me, that's not the enjoyment of the sport. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think Formula One does need to listen to that. But, yeah, I think a lot of people just want to go back, you know, to the past. And, you know, we simply can't do that. You know, the world doesn't go back. But Formula One does need to hold on to some of its heritage, mm. you know, you know, particularly with some of the old circuits and stuff like that. You know, it would be a shame as much as everyone, every modern fan hates Monaco. Yep. For me, as a historic fan... Yeah. 
you know, it's got to be there. You yep. know, the same as maybe Silverstone or a French or a German Grand Prix. Belgium. Belgium. Uh, you know, Belgium, which uh, is yeah. one of the circuits, you know, because you know, I have to go and work there. I probably hate that one. Yeah. More, 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 yeah. The, the circuit's great, but there, being yeah. there is terrible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, Formula One needs to balance, you know, being a heritage series, mm. but equally being a series that is at the pinnacle of, you know, everything that's involved with. So there's a balance and some fans don't like that change. You know, I can kind of understand that. Yeah. And uh, you just have to let them moan. Yeah. And let the form <laughs> they still watch anyway. So, yeah. yeah. I just mean, let them carry on. And in terms of reporting throughout your career, what have you found that works well for you? And, you know, how do you differentiate between reporting and having your own opinion? And has that ever meshed together before? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really lucky. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I suppose you call me an engineer. Yeah. Um, you know, some people may argue about that, but my point of view is I'm looking at the evidence and I'm, I'm giving it to you. Yeah. So, you know, that rear wing worked or it didn't work, mm -hmm. you know, that tire strategy worked or it didn't work. Yeah. I think a lot of other journalists get involved in, you know, the drivers, yeah. you know, their personalities, their way of racing, yeah. um, you know, who was responsible for that accident. Mm -hmm. Now, luckily I don't have to report on it. Yeah. That, you know, that is just so... Polarizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah polarizing it really is. And yeah. it's subjective, you yeah. know. Yeah. You, know yeah. you can look at it from both directions. So I, I'm lucky I don't tend to have to talk about stuff like that. But mm -hmm. equally, I'm lucky in that I've never had a favorite driver or a favorite team. You know, I'm not yeah. someone that goes around in, you know, all papaya or, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. me, uh, you know, being called a tifosi or uh, yeah. uh, oh, uh, a fanboy or something. Yeah, I've never, I've, yeah. sport generally has never driven me in that direction. I've nice. never been a fan of it. Mm -hmm. So I hope, and I think a lot of journalists also don't tend to have favorites. So you can be, um, you can put your opinion across, but without being you know, polarized in one direction. Yeah. And the way I know I'm getting that right uh, was, yeah, like the, the, the Hamilton Rosberg year. Mm -hmm. You know, half of the, the, the Hamilton fans were calling me a Rosberg. When I was like, I win. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that I must have it right if yeah. everyone's complaining yeah. <laughs> or everyone is using my argument. Um, and it's difficult. And some, you know, some, some pundits, some people who do journalism have favorites. You know, I think it's kind of unavoidable. You know, yeah. I think mm -hmm. there's people that you maybe have more respect for than, than you don't, or you have a relationship with yeah. more than uh, others. Yep. Um, and, you know, certain drivers, you know, are able to kind of cultivate that in a different way to other drivers. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it's, you know, everything really, I try and be as independent as I can and try not to. Um, you know, particularly comes into you know, things of legality. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can state them as you are, and sometimes you don't even have to kind of summarize it. So, you know, is that wing cheating or is it just outside the rules? Yeah, so it's like, it. you know, the cheating thing is subjective. Yeah. Yeah. So I can just say, look, the wing has got this, the rules say that, um, and take it from there. But it, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you, nowadays, particularly with social media, you do have to be careful with the comments that you make. Oh, yes. Uh, so I've, I've drawn from a lot of that sort of stuff yeah. nowadays. Amazing. <laughs> well, that wraps up yeah. Q1. This has definitely been the most informative Q1. Seriously, I learned so I think. much. I've learned a ton. Love this. How would you, you know, I rank think I'm this? going straight to the purple. Purple? Sector. Yeah, that was. That's tough. <laughs> Henny I don't give very up rarely gives purples yes. in Q1. That was very. I cool. see. We're going back to time management yeah. now. We yeah. don't want to peak too early. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you see? We come to Q3, Clearly haven't to learned three, that and much. we've got no tires. <laughs> Amazing. Well, stay tuned for Q2. That was Q1. Perfect. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We're not going to get into Q2 with Craig Scarborough. Craig, you ready to go? As, as I'll ever be, yes. Yeah. Purple first sector. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Okay. You got to match that. Now. Getting right into it. 
take us back, kind of the origin story for Craig. You know, what did you study? Like, how did you become a journalist? Did you always want to do this growing up? Tell us a little, a little bit about that. Well, really, the journalism was never never in my mind at any point in my life it's just it ended up being a conduit to which i can you know do the thing that i really enjoy which is engineering mm. and you know as a child i wasn't the one out playing soccer and you know stuff like that or skateboarding i was making model airplanes uh, and stuff like that you know i was you know in, into my books and that sort of thing and that really kind of led me into, into engineering um i used to make the plastic model kits eventually making an airplane just got a bit too easy. Yeah, you kind of stick two wings <laughs> together and put the pilot in, and that's kind of the model done. So I yeah. looked for more complicated models. And yeah, the Formula One models, when you take the bodywork off, you had all the bits underneath. Yeah. Mm. And from that, I learned how the car works. And, you know, well, you take that bit off. Where does that work? Yeah. So that kind of drove me. Mm. Um, and, you know, at school, and, you know, I was kind of good at maths and sciences and stuff, but mm. it was what was then called metal work, which is probably now design and tech and, you know, what have you. Mm. That was the, th the thing that I really got into. Yeah. Um, my uh, teacher in that lesson said, well, why don't you go and study engineering? Mm -hmm. Which had never occurred to me. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't know about those things in those days. You know, we're talking about this is the mid 80s. It's a long time ago. <laughs> um, so I went and studied engineering. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, again, because of where we were in terms of where the UK was and the world was in those days, you know, all the manufacturing companies that I applied to go and work for, Rolls-Royce, all the car companies, all the aircraft companies, ejector seat companies, you know, they all stopped manufacturing in the UK yeah. within a short period after I was applying anyway. So right. I never got that job in, in engineering, hmm. but still had that you know, massive interest. So I had cars and motorbikes that I enjoyed and stuff. Hmm. And it was really only when the internet came along that suddenly there was an outlet um, where I could put content and where people could ask questions, which back then was kind of bulletin boards. Yep. And, you know, I worked in IT. And when you work in IT, as you, you guys obviously know, yeah. is that you can always look busy because you're always at your computer. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, <laughs> frankly, by the time my, my you know, day job career died in the uh, sort of early 2010s, I, I did very little work and mainly F1 mm. behind my yeah. <laughs> But it was that ability, you know, people going, why is the Ferrari got these caked in brake drums? And it's like, well, I can explain that. Mm. And, oh, I can draw something for you to show what's going on. And obviously there was someone called Giorgio Piola mm. who was doing this in magazines throughout the 70s and 80s, which kind of inspired me that that was, you know, the, the, the part of the magazine I read first. Right. And it just went from there. And as I said, I was work. I did some writing uh, for uh, a website, and then I got into a technical magazine, mm. um, and then that led to writing, being doing paid work on a website, and that then went into video yep. and you know webcasting and bits and pieces, and eventually TV, and yeah. it just kind yeah. of all built up. And yeah. along the way, you know, I've improved my drawing, both you know my, my handwritten drawings, but also my you know digital drawings. Mm. I still can't do 3D; it's my biggest bug. Oh. Something, <laughs> something that I need to apply myself to do. Yeah, right. um, but you know, that's that's the next thing. I've worked with lots of 3D artists, and they are yeah fantastically skilled people yeah. and it's really just kind of built up and mm -hmm. um the great thing is you know particularly with social media as well um you know i was one of the sort of the first of the journalists to start putting kind of free content out on social media mm. during testing mm. wow. so i don't know you know again you probably may not remember but renault one year came out well i think it was lotus that year had exhaust that came out the front of the side pods <laughs> I, I seen a photo of it, yeah. and um you know we were all trying to find out where their exhausts were which at that time was the big technical thing because they were trying to blow the diffuser wow. 
And, um, you know, I kind of broke that story on social media and just, you know, I went mad. Yeah. And the great thing with social media is that you got direct interaction with all of the fans, you know, that the new fans, the very technical fans, people within the sport. You know, I, I'm often put right by people within the sport or, you know, applauded by people within the sport mm. for saying, you either got that right or, oh, God, you've, you know, you've shown everyone our big secret. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, it, it's just really just kind of bubbled up from there. And now I'm in a privileged position for the past 10 or more years. This has been you know, yep. my, my day job. Yeah. Yep. You can call it a job. Yeah. Um, and, and what type of education do you think if someone wants to pursue the same career as you, hmm. do you think they, they need or even what network they need to even be part of? Well, I think the trouble is, is that, you know, I've kind of fallen into this. This wasn't some grand design. It yeah. was just, you know, I got luckier and luckier <laughs> and luckier and positioned myself. And finally, you know, I yeah. was able to do this. I think if you were to come in to do what I do now, yeah. um, you could come in with no skills whatsoever. Mm. You know, mm. uh, you don't have to draw because photography now is so good. You don't mm. have to be a great photographer because even I can take pictures yeah. <laughs> with my phone. We got four so as long as you get to the car, um, you know, most of it is, is spoken nowadays rather than the written word mm. so you don't have to be great at english yeah. mm. um equally um you know the engineering side you know there's so many outlets now you don't have to go and study engineering mm. you can learn from all the online resources mm. nowadays i mean um you know the only degrees that were around when when i was studying were you know mechanical engine electrical engineering or aeronautical uh, nowadays you can go and do some very specific degrees in motorsport you know mm. motorsport aerodynamics race engineering you know aspects of the design mm. which is great so yeah yeah that would be great if you could do that um the only thing i would say to anyone that's trying to do what i do and this isn't from a protectionist point of view is that it's a teeny tiny market um you know there, <laughs> there aren't many other people out doing technical mm. um writing not because they don't have the ability because there just isn't the, the market for mm, it yeah. right so you know it's not you know, it's not going to make you a millionaire mm. yeah. but if you love it go and do it and you know you can do it purely as a hobby online such as that you know, the wonders of tiktok and yep. youtube right. and all of these other outlets yeah. now podcasts those as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no, there, there, there is there is there is no need for you to be you know a multiple degree mm. you know winning um writer and engineer to do this yeah. um you don't have to have worked in the sport i think the main thing and this applies to anyone that either wants to work in journalism mm. or actually directly in motorsport is just go out and get stuck in yeah. yep. which is all i ever did yep you know i'd find an opportunity or i'd push to get an opportunity and take it mm. um and that you know as with many things in life that's what yeah. gets you moving forward and how long have you been full-time now for I think it was 2014 was my first full-time season right. without having any form of day job yep. to kind of get in the way of looking at And then when life. you were doing it before part-time, I mean, that must have been crazy. Like full-time job and then come home in the evening, yes, I'm yep. guessing you're writing like, tell, was there a work-life balance there or were you just, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just go, 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 go. Yeah. It was, I mean, it's, yeah, 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 it's difficult, especially because, you know, I, I started covering Full One but race by race in 2000. Mm. I've been a fan since the late 70s as a child. Mm. Um, so, you know, I've kind of had a period where I was just a fan and then actually, you know, creating, curating content for people. The problem I had was that uh, at one point when I was um, both had a day job uh, which was a, a fairly substantial job at that time, as well as a family. I was also writing for Autosport magazine for mm. Autosprint in Italy and for uh, doing work with a number of TV companies producing 3D content. Mm. So I would go to work 
uh, try and get as much work done as I can yeah. <laughs> while also doing F1 stuff. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, come home, be a family man for a few hours. And then when everyone went to bed, I'd go and sit at my desk and I would draw race cars until wow. three, four, five in the morning. Um, oh, not every night. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, over a Grand Prix weekend, ready for print deadlines and what have you. Wow. So yeah, and it was, yeah, work, there was a work-life balance. There probably wasn't a work-life sleep balance <laughs> through some of this, but you know, I was kind of doing what I really loved. So, you know, it was, it was tricky, but just so worthwhile. And I, you know, I, would, I wouldn't have changed that for anything. That's amazing. And other than being an a potential engineer <laughs> and a reporter, would you ever or have thought of being a driver before into F1? I think probably where um, in my teens, yes. Mm. I, yeah. I would be a driver. Um, <laughs> Did you kart? Were you like into cards? Uh, no, not, really? not not as a, not as a teenager. Yeah. I did a little bit. That, the thing I realised, you know, I was saying earlier that I never played soccer and tennis and golf or anything. Yeah. I have no natural reflex <laughs> whatsoever. There's a reason yeah, yeah, that yeah. I'm looking at the engineering, <laughs> yeah. side, the, the sitting down part of it. Yeah. Um, no, I've got no ability in that respect. So I never realistically thought I could be uh, a driver. I did apply uh, to some of the Formula One teams as an engineer cool. um, shortly after I finished my studies. Um, you know, Williams, um, I think it was Benetton as it was in those days and mm -hmm. a few other teams, uh, when the teams were much, much smaller. Um, and of course, they just saw me with my qualifications, but I had never... No, I didn't even know anyone else that was into Formula One when I was a teenager. Yeah. Mm. You know, I was the only person who turned up at school with Grand Prix magazines, <laughs> yeah. Tamiya magazines for models and things. You know, no one else, no one in my family, no one at school. So obviously I had no experience in motorsport of engineering, you know, mechanicing at all. Mm. So when they looked at my CV, it's like, well, no, we'll, we'll find the guy that's, you know, has already you know, been carting or has been, you know, mechanicking or, you know, do, doing things. Yeah. So I never made that step. Yeah. Right. Um, and maybe that that's for the best. Maybe mm. not. I don't, you know, I don't know. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I never really harbored. And certainly nowadays, if an F1 team, God forbid, said, can you come and work for us? I, yeah. I don't think I would want to do it because I yeah. love this little niche that I've got yeah. uh, doing what I do. And how do you evolve kind of like your, your content strategy? Because one of the things I know some people do is they see, you know, a new platform pop up like TikTok and they're like, oh, I it's a fad. Yeah. Or maybe like some people say the smart people are like, I got to be on it. But yeah. some people are like, oh, it's a fad. It's not going to last. I don't want to be on it. People are dancing. This is weird. What the hell? <laughs> right? Craig is out here dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Said, no, no coordination, no reflexes. I'm not going to be dancing. For, for you though, like, like, did you see some of these new platforms and get on them right away? Were you like early to like, like some of these new platforms, were you very open to just putting out your content wherever? Yeah, I think yeah. I, I think within Formula One, yes, I probably was. Hmm. So you know, I started quite conventionally. Uh, I worked in IT, which kind of helped, um, and kind of got. I, I did a, 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 my own website for a while, probably you know, old HTML coded. It's still out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, and then blogs came along. Now, when the first time I got into blogs, it was sort of the Japanese journalist, and it was very much them taking a photo of their breakfast. I couldn't read or translate anything they were writing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, blogs are for people showing them, you know, what their daily life's about, and that's no good. Then you mm. saw a couple of other people do it, and I thought, ah. So I started the Scarves F1 blog, mm. um, which was great. It's offline now, unfortunately, because of technical problems that I just yeah. never got around to. And then Twitter came along. And again, you looked at it, and it was just lots of people that seemed to know each other going, Hi. Hi. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is useless. And then, yeah, you know, I was probably one of the first people to 
one of the early adopters of Twitter for putting content out rather than just chatting to other people within the sport. Because originally, Twitter would seem to me to be a very small sphere of people within the sport and the journalism bubble mm. and not so much about the fans. Obviously, it's changed over those years. Yeah. TikTok's come along and uh, I do have a TikTok account. Nice. Um, I've done no dancing. Oh. I've not really put any videos out. Yeah. I kind of went on it to understand it. Yeah. Mm. Even to and, ideas. you know, yeah, a lot of the people in the press room at a Formula One would probably think TikTok is kids dancing. Yeah. But there are some fantastic people on TikTok doing F1 content. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I, I can learn things. Um, they can, you know, jump to the same conclusions that I have at the same time. Yeah. And they've got a different way of communicating. It's a different audience. I don't think the TikTok audience is necessarily uh, my audience. You know, there are a lot of new fans, a lot of young fans. Mm. And, you know, I don't really produce the content to attract them mm -hmm. um so you know I, I haven't really kind of got into it but i certainly wouldn't discount anything you know like twitch equally you know yep. another one of those big things um yeah you know i think all these different platforms um have all got a place because for you know there's no gate there shouldn't be a gatekeeper to formula one you know if yeah. you're a fan and you're a teenager and you just like you know drivers with blonde hair yeah, <laughs> yeah great yeah. if you're a weird guy in his 50s that only is interested in a little bend in carbon fiber on the floor of an f1 car then you know i've got my space in f1 as well there's space for all of us mm. and you know you can't discount anyone's point of view yeah what and, and do you think that will constantly change now that with you know dts drive to survive and you know social media becoming such a pinnacle for f1 do you think that your content will start to change to get those new audiences or are you just going to stick to what you know and what works for you no i mean i think you know you've got to react to it mm. you know, drive to survive has been such a massive part of formula one you know, you know there's been documentaries in the past some of them are very good some of them are very technical which mm -hmm. I mean. <laughs> uh, drive to survive you know as i say i never knew anyone that was into formula one yeah. all of a sudden now <laughs> i'm getting people come up to me that i've known for years going oh yeah i watch formula one now i watch drive to Survive." <laughs> my daughter watches it and it's yeah. like what? What? This is yeah, this is this never it was yeah. never ha happened without Drive to Survive. Yeah. It's fantastic. And yes, my content has had to change because I've had to explain some of the basics. Mm. So I, I mean, last year, particularly during the American Grand Prix, mm. I put out a lot of more simple content. You know, what's inside a Formula One car? Drawn all the bits that you don't see. Yeah. Mm. That's where the fuel tank is. That's where the extinguisher is. All that sort of stuff that people don't know. Mm. You know, that haven't followed it. You know, all of their life, and they've always had someone there to kind of explain it to them. So yeah. You do need to adapt. Um, whether I would ever be anyone that they'd want on Drive to Survive, or you know, maybe there needs. We always joke. Netflix. There needs Netflix. To be, Netflix. Well, yeah. Netflix. Uh, yeah. yeah, a design to survive you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, would be very niche. But yeah, yeah you know, there's, you know, there, there is, there is space for all of it. And I think you yeah. know, we've all got a responsibility to help other yeah. fans out to, to, so they right. can understand things. Yeah. And how do you? I know you know Henny loves Twitter. By the way, he loves getting a lot mm. of his F1 news on Twitter. He follows a bunch of accounts, including yourself. I mean, how do you stay up to date with the sport? What do you read like in the morning? Is there a particular blog, magazine, video series that people should check out? Um, no, not really, actually. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, um, I'm find increasingly like the, the big uh, major mainstream motorsport websites actually mm. give almost no content worth reading whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I, hate, I hate to say that because yeah. I've worked for them in the past, yeah. but yeah, they just seem to be kind of just 
really putting a kind of clickbait title onto yep. something that everybody else is oh, following that's coming out from the teams anyway. Mm. So, yeah, I'm lucky I can follow all the team's press releases. You know, mm. I know people within the industry. Yep. Um, but really, Twitter is is kind of like my go-to place. Mm. Um, if you're into the, the technical side of the sport, there's a, a, a forum called f1technical.net mm. or GP technical, it might be called, .net now, which has got lots of like-minded people posting about updates on the cars. Mm. You know, there's, there's people on TikTok that I can find out stuff you know the team's tiktoks yeah, yeah you know i often take screen grabs from the team's tiktoks or their youtubes because it's got a little clip of something in the background i mean actually mclaren had some photos of uh, who's their new driver this year is it piastri piastri yeah, i don't know the drivers yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um and in the background there was their new turbo intercooler oh, oh wow you know oh, i and, remember you zoomed yeah, in on it and it's like that. oh yeah. Then you can't. Those pictures got taken down. I yeah. know that it's, that's what it was. Um, yeah, yeah. I kind of look everywhere. So I do spend an awful lot of time on my phone kind of yeah. scrolling around lots of different things. But there isn't one place, mm. you know. I mean, I think it would be, you know, some mad, you know, uh, conglomerate of content if someone yeah. could put everything in one place. Well, I just kind of browse around everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it could be something like, you know, the LinkedIn network um, mm. you know, for businesses, yeah. you know, people within the industry. Um, and, you know, as I say, also, you get people re reach out to you, you know, I'm an engineer or my brother's cousin's son's dog is an engineer. Yeah. So he told me this. Yeah. Yeah. You get all sorts of leads. Yeah. Um, and it's just a case of just listing out and again, not being snobby uh, about what platform you're looking at. Yeah. And in talks with just racing weekends, how, how does that go for you? You know, there's a lot of traveling, but also there's so much chaos that's happening during the weekend. How do you process, you know, capturing all the data that you need mm. to report on it? race weekends get really difficult there's there for me there's two types of race weekends yeah. there's the ones where i'm at the race weekend and they're the ones where i'm I, i'm not mm -hmm. um and obviously with with the pandemic i do a lot less races now than i've done in the yeah. past um a, a race weekend on the ground is my work is very different to everybody else's so i will always be there for the start of thursday mm. uh, which for most people means nothing yeah if i can i mean at the british grand prix i can sometimes there on a wednesday as well because mm. it's just really easy it's quite, yeah. uh, but i'm up and down the the pit lane looking at the cars yeah. there's no point in me sitting you know in the media center like you know a lot of journalists do there's no point in me doing track walks um i'm looking at the cars yeah. uh, or i'm in the paddock which you know, again i'm so privileged to have that access chatting to people um which could be other journalists or it could be people within the teams or suppliers and something yeah. so thursday and friday is all about just being around the cars as much as possible um and then oddly for me once i've kind of done that Normally, I've either posted my content, whether it's you know, written or video or what have you. Um, Saturday and Sunday uh, kind of have less work importance yeah. for me. Clearly, mm -hmm. I need to watch the sessions, follow what's going on. But there's been, I've been to Grand Prix in the past where I've left on Friday night. Right. Because what more, you know, I can't yeah. get into the pit lane so much yeah. on a Saturday because obviously so many sessions are going on Sunday, you know, unless I had grid access, you know, it's really hard to see the cars. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you know, I've got quite a different workflow to everyone else. Mm. Um, if I'm not at a circuit, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, and I'm like looking for, you know, images from everybody. And it will be looking at Twitter and TikTok and Facebook and, you know, often, you know, VIP guests who, frankly, I have no interest in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. Yeah, I don't even know who half of them are. <laughs> yeah. you know. um, but they'll often be stood in the garage, you know, yeah, having those pictures, <laughs> but in the background of that picture, because it's not <laughs> oh, controlled no. by the PR people and yeah. the, 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 the official photographers, there's you know something 
you know, exposed yeah. that I can learn from. So, you know, it's not always just technical imagery. Yeah. It's mm. other bits and pieces and all those little videos and yeah. things and just picking up on chit-chat and story about what's going on over the weekend. But it, it yeah. tends to be quite full on. Yeah. Um, probably all the way up to the Grand Prix, which is the only time because I don't report on the, the action of the Grand Prix. Mm. I can kind of relax and I can watch it, partly as a fan, but, you know, I've always got that kind of technical mind yeah. thinking, hmm, yeah. used... Purple sector one. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a good sign. Yeah. Um, and taking it on from there, but yeah, it's a lot of screen time. Yeah, there's a reason I've got massive. Yeah. <laughs> Final question of yeah. Q2. Um, You've mentioned that Belgium is obviously a Grand Prix that, as a journalist, very tough, tough for you. What's your favorite Grand Prix to attend as a journalist, and why? Uh, there's lot. There's lots for lots of different reasons. Yep. Um, there's there's. Probably a, a set of three classic ones, which I describe as the, you know as a, as a someone from Great Britain, the, the New World races. <laughs> sure, yeah. So Canada, yep, um, Australia, um, and Austin, hmm. um, uh, which are all great race circuits yeah. um, for being you know actually there for the action on the track. Great towns to be in as well yep. to really enjoy. It. Yeah, these aren't circuits that are out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, so I really enjoy those. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a soft spot for Monaco. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a lovely place to be in the French Riviera, um, being you know, around the harbour. You know, it's, the pits are great because I can get so close to the car because there's no space. Mm. Um, I really enjoy Hungary. And yeah. I, it, it's one of those things, I mean, it's a fantastic city, but again, it's, a lot of people don't enjoy that race, but there's just something about being there that I, I really enjoy. And Singapore, I mean, yeah. if you had to do one race, as a fan, yeah. I would say Singapore is the race that you've got to do because it's just spectacular in every respect. Oh, yeah. And um, but that that is, you know, because the time difference for, for, for us Europeans, it's yeah, yeah tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is it's tough. worse for us. Yeah, um, the Canadians have a terrible. But yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're the classics. Yeah, perfect. Amazing. Q2 verdict? That was, you know, I got to step it down a bit. Yep. I'm a green. Gurpal, maybe? No. Gurpal? Maybe on the last one. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we created a new one. Green with a couple of mini sectors. Yeah. 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 Little mini yeah. sectors where we <laughs> we say green and purple, mix it together, you got a Gurpal, you know? Yeah. We've never done a Grello. A Grello? Yeah, like a yellow, oh, yellow green. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, well, stay tuned for Q3, guys. This should be a very exciting rapid fire round. Welcome back to the Track Limits podcast. We're getting into our favorite round now, the rapid fire round. Craig right now is sitting on a purple and a green. We'll see if he can get a final purple, final purple here, yeah. which would probably put you on provisional poll, I would hope. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From all our guests? I From all our so. guests, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So Craig, first question here, rapid, full fire answers. If you had to choose one platform to post on forever, which one would it be? That's easy, that's Twitter. Twitter. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Craig, I'm about to show you a photo um, I think everyone wants to know. I, you probably have talked about this, but this is your profile photo. What is it? <laughs> it's me. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, big glasses and a square yellow head. It's it's me. That that was actually done while I was at work um, for a major electrical company at the time yeah. on paintbrush when I first set my Twitter account up. I think 2008 it might mm -hmm. have been. Yeah. And it's like, what should I use? What should I use? What should I use? I'll just do my face. Wow. And it's it's just stayed and yeah. when, when people then first actually see me doing videos yeah. it's like oh yeah, yeah. It's you. <laughs> i love it unreal which one would you delete out of the bigger social media platforms uh, for me facebook um i i'd never kind of got into it and mm -hmm. it it seems to actually steal more content than any other platform i don't yes. know if that's true or not but i just yeah. it's one that i never got on with it cool. works for some people yep 
Perfect. Perfect. Which driver would you trust to drive you blindfolded? They're blindfolded. The track? Yeah, they're yeah. blindfolded. <laughs> I, do you know what? I really wouldn't. I really wouldn't care less. I would probably pick someone that was quite exciting, someone yeah. that really kind of throws the car around yeah. rather than someone that That's drove smooth. beautifully. Yeah. Um, who puts lots of him? I mean, someone like Grosjean, who's really kind of yeah. yeah. Perhaps Alonso, you know, yeah. really throwing it into the corner in terms of someone that is still a current driver. Yeah. I think I want to be, you know, go on a full fairground ride yeah. rather than just being driven fast. It yeah. needs to be fun. Nice. Great. Greatest driver of all time, in your opinion. I know you said you don't care about drivers, but... Do you know what? To, for me, hear it. there isn't one. Okay. There isn't a greatest driver of all time. Wow. I mean, mm. you just can't... You know, so, every year has got yeah. a number of drivers that are great. And I think we could say that about now and yeah. every other year, decade that I followed. Yeah. For me, the driver that... The only other driver that really kind of got me excited, which is when I was a teenager, was Gilles Villeneuve. Mm. And not simply because I'm a speaker. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <That's like, laughs> Good answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. growing up and seeing his antics and someone that just took the car to his absolute limit or anything that he was on mm. uh, to the absolute limit every time. I think if he arrived in Formula One now, I would probably hate him. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, You're a madman. You're yeah. a driver. <laughs> yeah. Wheels. Yeah. And the, the wing bent over the... But yeah. for me, that was probably the only driver that kind of excited me. Yeah. Oops. We talked about this already, but what technical directive would you put in 2026 as a regulation change? Well, I could get really kind of sort of into the nitty gritty and yeah. I'd throw some really good ones there, okay. but no one would understand. Yeah. For me, I think the thing Formula One uh, hasn't reintroduced is active suspension. Mm. Um, and I think that would fit very well into the new regulations and is kind of a little bit overdue in terms of technology that F1 needs to have. There's other things that I think need there, particularly on the safety side of things. But again, I don't think that's probably quite so interesting. So yeah, active. Cool. Great. Which F1 team would you pick if you were a driver? Which, which team would you want to drive for? Well, I would pick the one that I'd predict as being best at the next season, yeah. Yeah. Uh, rather than, you know, choosing a team because they're a team. Um, you know, I think there is, there's, oddly, there's still this mystique about Ferrari, isn't mm -hmm. there? I think mm -hmm. lots of drivers get kind of yep. distracted to be drawn. The legacy yeah. brand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that, that would work for me. But yeah, I mean, if it was me at the moment, if I... You know, it was coming in. I'd choose Red Bull because I think they're the team in an ascendancy. But yep. uh, failing that, you know, probably a Mercedes seat would be yeah. quite nice. Cool. Um, now that you are a driver, who would you <laughs> want as a teammate on the current grid right now? So I would want, uh, again, depends which team I'm in. Yeah. Um, but I would guess I would probably want a driver that's quite slow. Uh, but has a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's a few out there, but, okay. um, you know, not to be rude to anyone. Yeah. yeah. yeah Lance Stroll. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Hey, another hey, Canadian. We're we'll just bringing up Canadians here. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll take it. Who would you not want as your teammate, though? Uh, you, the person that's quite the opposite. Yeah. 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 doesn't bring money to yeah. the team. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't want to be up against Lewis Hamilton. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want to be up against Max Verstappen either. And I think both of them for quite different reasons, yeah. both because of their mm. you know, personality and style, but also because of the team and the team management. I think yeah. both of them would be very hard to be up against. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and you'd have to add uh, Charles Leclerc uh, to that list as well. I think it would be very hard to be a, a second Ferrari driver at the moment, yeah. even with my incredible driving skills. Yeah. I've just been bestowed. Of yep. course. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> What's the most over-asked question that you get? Mm. Why can't we go back to V12? Yeah. <laughs> V10s. Damn. Oh, dev. Yeah. That probably um, is yeah. Yeah. Uh, that. Um, that one followed by you know, accusations of cheating mm. um, is, the, is the other thing that it gets. But equally, I get a lot of very... Uh, 
broadly technical questions. Why is Williams the only team without the dashboard mm-hmm. on the steering wheel? But on the that, I mean that yep. that comes up as a major conversation yeah. topic about twelve times a year. I mean wow. it's unbelievable that people just keep asking <laughs> yeah, the questions. So yeah, I mean that that actually may even be the most asked question that I'm asked wow. thinking about it. That's crazy. Funniest social media comment you've ever gotten. Do you remember like one tweet that you got from a fan or something on Instagram you saw? <laughs> I don't know if I've, again, I, I, I struggle to kind of pick out sort of top tens like that. But yeah. I think the thing that amazes me is, you know, I, I have some fun on Twitter. I was having fun this morning mm-hmm. um, with um, Williams and the golf livery. Yeah. Um, and the, the ability for people on Twitter to come back with stuff that you just yeah. <laughs> Either being funny or yeah. being incredibly serious. Yeah. I, I can't think of of many at the moment, but there's always someone that will just post a little funny. Yeah. <laughs> just like... I wish I'd thought. Of that. Yeah. Like, damn. yeah. Uh, what's one piece of F1 memorabilia that you currently own or you would want to own? Uh, Probably the thing, I mean, I've got, uh, uh, speaking to you guys off camera, I've got a massive collection of F1 pedals. Yeah. Mm. So any more of them uh, would be really nice. I've got, you know, Red Bull and McLaren, and I'd like some Ferrari ones, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Mm. Probably the most greatest piece of memorabilia, I've got a Red Bull F duct. Wow. Um, which um, I, the person selling it didn't realize what it was. Um, so I got it surprisingly cheap. It's actually going to be on show at the F1 uh, exhibition that's nice. coming up shortly. Can that I buy is it something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you need to sell all your homes in your house. <laughs> but yeah, you can, you can certainly have it. Um, one thing that I would really want, I think there's, there's probably only a couple of things that I don't have. Yeah. Um, I haven't got a, mono, a full monocoque survival cell. Oh, right. I haven't got space because it all goes up my attic. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that probably wouldn't fit through anyway. Um, but something really vague is uh, something called an inerter. What's that? Which is a part of the suspension. Okay. So whereas, you know, like you normally get a shock absorber, spring goes up and down, up yep, and down. Yep, yep, yep. This was something introduced by McLaren uh, and Band only last year, which has a little spinning weight on it. So as it goes wow. in and out, it spins. Right. And it, it helps manage the suspension. Mm-hmm. I haven't got one. Yep. I only know of one that came onto the market and I know one that's in private hands. It's something, yeah. one of those things. It's one of those things yeah. that's great because it's a beautiful piece of thing to look at. Yeah. But when you actually demonstrate it, yeah. everyone just kind of gets it. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a bit, you know, kind of odd. But I, yeah, if someone, if I could get one of those, yep. I think I'd be really happy. Love nice. that. Uh, most embarrassing moment you've had in a Grand Prix weekend reporting. Is there one? moment where you were like oh man <laughs> uh probably lots actually yeah, yeah. Um, whether i realized it at the time or yeah. not yeah i the one that i really remember and this goes back a little while to the uh, the early 2000s uh williams which were with bmw at the time mm-hmm. uh had big uh quite lavish corporate launches with mm-hmm. bmw uh williams on the technical side was still run by patrick head okay. and the people that know patrick he's um kind of ex-British military, he's very, very stern, very serious, Um, not not aggressive, but you wouldn't, you you certainly don't want to get on his his bad (laughs) side, doesn't suffer fools lightly. They just finished the main, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that this year, and they said, right, we're now going to open the, uh, you know, the group, the the, the people up to a uh, conversation, so people were allowed up onto the stage to ask everyone questions, so of course I'm like, right, I'm going to get to Frank before all the other journalists (laughs) do. Sorry, not Frank, to uh, Patrick. And as I, in my rush, I actually tripped over the edge of the stage (gasps) and I kind of do that kind of running, slowing, I've got got this, I've got this. And I stopped just short of Patrick and the look on his face looking back at me. And I was literally almost like, yeah, face to face. And it's like, 
Ah, <laughs> yeah. hello there. <laughs> so tell me about the keel design. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I could, he couldn't take me seriously after that. He was very kind. He did oh. give me time. Is there a video of that? I would love to. See. Yeah, uh, there probably is on some B reels somewhere at yep. BMW in Munich. Where, but I don't think. Luckily, this was kind of pre-video phones yeah. and stuff. Yeah. No, no one, no one captured that. Um, next question: If you could have one superpower, what would it be? That's it. For me, it's easy. Invisibility. Mm. Now, there's nothing that, for me, that would beat it. Yeah. Um, I could walk into garages. Yeah. I could look around the car. <laughs> yeah. I could go into the depot. Yeah, yeah. I could go to the factories. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how does he know this? <laughs> um, yeah, for me, that would be... Yeah. That there's would just, be the, there's that just would be. a tire just coming off. Coming off, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. What's happening? And an inerta. Yeah. Yeah. It's the third time this year. The yeah. yeah, no, that for me, that would be absolutely fantastic. I, you know, I'd love to fly or go yeah. back in time, but for me, the one that I could really make use of would be yeah, that's nice. back in time to the, the V12 engine. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what celebrity would be a good fit for F1, in your opinion? Any celebrity, actor, actress, musician? I don't know. As a driver. Because, I mean, yeah. you know, um, the celebrities that are into F1 tend to be ones that are great on the celebrity scale and vice yep. versa. Yeah. Um, I think the character that needs to hang around Formula One, you know, which isn't really a celebrity, is more of a... Um, uh, is an imaginary person with James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just kind of hanging around. I know, I know Daniel Craig has been to, you yeah. know, to, um, to Grand Prix and as the previous uh, Bonds have over the time as the actors. I just, you know, that's, to me, what goes on kind of behind the scenes with all the big money and that, it's just, yep. you know, sort of, you know, a James Bond. Maybe if yep. he was a journalist as well. Yes. Ah, a few articles yep. might yep. be interesting. Yeah. Could drive the Aston Martin. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You would hate that, but yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, next question. It would be um, predictions. Let's talk about the next oh. season. Well, this with drivers tricky, and it? constructors. Let's, okay, the, let's the, name the it. broad prediction is going to be a lot more competitive year this year. Okay. I mm. think you're definitely going to see the top three big teams as they were last year yep. fighting a lot closer. Um, and each of them are going to have a stage in the season where they're better than the others. Mm. Mm. Um, I think the midfield is going to be absolutely mad this year. And the question will be, could McLaren and Alpine make that leap yeah. into the, the podium, regular podium finishes, top threes? Mm. Which is a big ask, yeah. but it's possible. At the end of the year, it's really hard to predict who's going to be the drivers' championship because you know, you've got the car performance, you've got reliability, you've got you know, engine penalties, you've yeah. got Red Bull going to be suffering yep. with their decline in aero testing in the last half of the year. Strategy. I think if I had to pick one person that I would put my money on, yeah. and not because of any fan reasons, it'd probably be Verstappen um, as driver's champion. Hmm. He has less competition within his team. Mm. The team are completely behind him. They've got some momentum, despite some of their issues they'll have this year. Mm. I don't think that means that Red Bull will get the Constructors' Championship. Mm. Um, you know, it's very much dependent on um, Sergio's performance, how he's allowed to perform, mm -hmm. whether he stays in the seat for the yeah. whole year as well is another big question uh, for this year. But I would see it's much more likely someone like Mercedes getting the Constructors' Championship. Mm. Two solid drivers, probably taking enough points away from each other in the Drivers' Championship not to yep. quite get there. I think they're taking maybe a little while. They'll be a lot faster at the initial part of the year, but I don't think they would dominate maybe until perhaps the latter part of the year. Mm. And Ferrari kind of mixing in there would probably be, you know, sort of the, the third place amongst all of those. Yeah. So that's how I would expect it. But nothing would surprise me this year. You know, it could be yeah. a Perez championship. Ferrari yeah. could get the constructors. You know, wow. it's 
fate will twist that last bit. Yeah. But yeah. looking at looking at it as logically as you possibly can, that's that's my prediction. Fantastic. Right. Can't wait for the season. Uh, yeah. You're writing an autobiography on your life. Which of these titles best resonates with you? All right. <laughs> the Daredevil, the Dream Catcher, the Free Spirit, the Hardest Worker. Or the Invisible Man. Or the Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I want the Invisible Man is the title of my uh, <laughs> my book. I don't think any of them really kind of they probably Dreamcatcher because I've always enjoyed mm. this mm. and I, you know, I had a day job and you know I started to write a little bit and I thought oh maybe I could get onto this next yeah. maybe maybe yeah. maybe I could get on TV and talk about this stuff and it will pay my my mortgage one yeah. day yeah and it has so yeah I'm living the dream. Yeah. So I've got to be the dream catcher. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Craig. The final question we ask every guest in about 30 seconds, tell us how you want to be remembered. What sort of legacy do you want to leave behind? I think probably the only thing I want to be remembered by is that the person that answered our questions to explain how <laughs> Formula One car works. Fantastic. That's, that's all I ever strove to do. And you've done a great job of it so far, and I know you're going to continue to do that. Thank you for, again, coming on, sharing so much wisdom, so much expertise with us. Where can people find you on social media? So the best thing is Twitter, yep. uh, at Scarbs Tech. Um, but if you just put Scarbs and F1, you'll find. Even if you put Scrabs or Scabs, <laughs> oh. that, that, that will work as well. But Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Scarves Tech. We'll put the social guys in the show description. Feel free to go and follow Craig, especially again if you are a newer fan coming into the sport and you want to take you know the next level, the next step up, go and follow Craig. He's an incredible person. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Check out our other episodes on tracklimitspod.com. Give us a follow on social media, and we'll see you in the next episode.